You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we're going to talk about strategies for late game, close situations, end of the match, end of the set, where decision-making matters, coaching matters, and it's a, it's a point where... You know, you can you can win or lose games in last you know the last five points of a set or the last four five points of a match. So, knowing and having things in your toolbox as a coach is really important. And there may be some things you're not even aware of. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, you know strategy, late game situation type stuff, uh, and hopefully increase your toolbox with some strategy you can use um, if you're ever in these types of situations. So it's an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 149 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Another week of volleyball. I hope everyone's doing well. If you are a new listener, welcome to the podcast. My name is Coach Brian Singh, and I'm the host of the podcast. And if you are a regular listener, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. You know how much I appreciate you guys. And the goal every episode is to deliver value, tangible step-by-step strategies, things you could take back to your gym and apply right away. And on this podcast, we like to get to the point, we like to get specific, and I don't, I, don't, I, t- I tend to not to try to beat around the bush with certain things. I, w- I really want to, you know, deliver something that you can actually use. And that's what I'm hoping to do today. Uh, but before we get into that, if you heard in the preamble, or rather, if you're listening to this before uh, April, was it 28th, 29th, 30th, I'm having a free workshop this weekend. Coming up Friday, Saturday, Sunday, pick a day that works for you. We're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm basically gonna show you my step-by-step proven system of creating your offense. Uh, I ran this workshop back in January. A lot of people had a lot of a lot of great things to say about it. They were able to, you know, further their offensive arsenal and add things to their toolbox. So really excited about it, doing, running it again. Um, so if you haven't signed up yet, volleyballworkshop.com. Go over there, get signed up, and uh, yeah, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see you in the training. All right. Let's um, let's talk about this. This was an interesting one. So I had the opportunity this weekend. So I live in in Ontario, uh, and provincials. So we 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 have provinces in Canada. So we have our provincials for youth volleyball for club volleyball, and it's happening in my hometown of Toronto. So I was there over there this weekend and got got you know got a chance to watch a, a lot of great matches, some talented club volleyball players in, in the area, and it was it was a good time and. Um, and by the way, if you, if you came out and said hello to me, really appreciate that. Uh, I had some people come up and say, Hey, we listen to the podcast, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And, and I, I really appreciated that. It was really nice of you guys to come up and say hi. And uh, I got a chance to connect with a lot of, a lot of the listeners who listen to this. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm glad you guys listened and I hope I, I could deliver more value today. And at this, um, so, you know, as a, you know, as a, as a college coach, you're there recruiting, trying to, you know, see talent for your upcoming season, in our case for 2024, that's the graduating class we're looking at right now. And uh, I'm there with our coaching staff, and I'm looking at these games, and one of the, one of the interesting things, and I, I get, I, I don't, I mean, I, I do watch club volleyball, but not as much as I did, obviously, this weekend, because, you know, during, during, during our college season, you know, you don't have that much time. But one of the things that I noticed what, that was interesting was 
the separation from the teams that were able to close out games versus the teams that weren't. And, you know, you'd see there's so many, we watch a ton of games, and there's so many games where, you know, obviously when you have a much better team playing against a, a much lower, lower seeded team, you know, there's no close game. So that we're not talking about those games. We're talking about pretty fair matched up games where the talent on both sides are, are, are good enough where no, no side has a significant advantage. Yes, a side may be a better team in certain situations, but there's no like, it's going to be a good match. And we saw a lot of those. And what we noticed was, you know, we kept looking at our um, you know, coaching staff. We look at each other and we're like, oh man, like they, they had that game or, or why are they doing this or what's going on here? And, and it, it was really evident. And again, this is not to say that coaches aren't doing this, by the way. So if you're a coach, listen to this and you were coaching this weekend, this is not a knock on you at all. But we noticed that there was a clear distinction between the teams that won those close matches and the teams that lost those close close matches. Excuse me. And that's what I want to talk about today, because at at the higher level, um, this is something that we I don't want to say take for granted, but it we really both at the higher level. Teams in close game situations are executing their game plans. They're playing very tactically. You, you're, you're pl- this is where coaches make their money. They're playing a game of chess. And you see the high-level type of volleyball at the, at the college and pro level. And at the club level, it's very interesting to see which team is being tactical and which team isn't. And the tactical teams, the ones that are trained for these type of situations and know how to make certain decisions, they're the ones that are coming out and winning. And that's what I want to talk about in this episode is how do you become that team? Coaches, how do you train? What are you, what are you supposed to be training your team when you're in that 2020, 24-24, 23-24, those late close game situations? How do you pull away when it's an evenly matched up game? And that's, that's a fantastic question. This is coaches where we make our money. And it may not even be noticeable as a fan watching the game, but as a coach watching the game, you absolutely can tell what's going on. So the first thing that I want to mention, and this was across all teams that we saw, was the teams that pulled away 99% of the time were playing to win. And the teams that didn't pull away we're playing not to lose. And there's a big distinction there. Playing to win versus playing not to lose. And I'm sure you coaches may have heard, you know, I'm sure you're very familiar with this type, this type of thinking. And if you haven't, the reason this is important is because of the athlete's mindset and decision making that comes with playing to win versus playing not to lose. So I'll give you some examples that we noticed. So late game situation, ball gets dug, setter or backcourt player puts in a high ball out of system. Now, as listener, you I'm sure you're gonna you, you know the answer of what the player should be doing. Well, the player should be attacking the ball, attacking the ball. And what, what that attack looks like is dependent on what the block is giving you, whether that's a sealed block, you swing high off hands, whether you tip into an area, whether you roll into the pot, you know, whether you super tip, that is entirely depending on what the defense is giving you. But you have to attack. And the teams that were playing to win were attacking the ball. The teams that were playing not to lose 
were getting the ball over because they were afraid of committing an error. And this is what we talk about when we say swing with a purpose. As I say this all the time as a coach to my athletes, I'm like we have to swing with a purpose. And any ball that is set high enough where you can get an attack on it, you better be getting an attack on it. <laughs> because if you're not, guess what? The other team is going to be doing that. And you don't ever, ever, I don't care what your skill level is, you never want to play to not lose. Because, and in many players, and this is a mindset thing, this is your mental toughness, your mental skills training. You know, a lot of players don't want to commit the error. Late game situation, they don't want to be the player to commit the error. So what they do is they just get it over in hopes that our defense can play. And I'll tell you something, at the higher club level, when you're playing good teams, you free ball it over, they're now given an opportunity to run an offense and they're going to score. So you have, and and here's here's the drawback, you free ball it over, they score, they get momentum and they keep that momentum and continue pushing versus you attack the ball, you score, congratulations, you get the momentum, you're on the you're back on, you know, back on your side. You commit an error. Now here's what happens. You commit an error. The other team doesn't gain the momentum that they did from you committing that error versus if they were to score off a free ball situation that you gave them. So yes, it's unfortunate you you lose the point either way, one by an error, two by them scoring, but the value of the point is so much more in their favor if they're scoring on that point versus if you commit the error because you bounce back and you serve receive and you side out. So, and the, the, that's, this is probably the biggest and most important point out of every, anything I say in this episode is play to win, don't play to lose. All right, don't play not to lose, sorry. Don't play not to lose. Okay, point number two, and then swing with a purpose. That's like, that's like a mantra I have, swing with a purpose. I encourage you to say that to your teammates, to your team rather, swing with a purpose. Okay, let's talk about what we can do on defense because this is where close game situations, now we have to start being tactical. So one of the things I ask my coaching staff or I ask the team, one thing you got to determine is what has the other team been doing to be successful to get them in the situation they're in right now? What have they been doing? And you'll you'll find out things like, well, they've been going to their go-to player on every in-system pass, and he's been scoring or she's been scoring. Or every in-system ball, they've ran the middle, which tends to be a very common thing, especially in rally situations. In-system, go, go to the middle and score. And especially at the club level, that's a very, very popular sequence at the club level, by the way. If the setter gets taken off the net, left side, no matter what. But if it's an in-system ball, especially on a rally ball, that's normally a middle attack if the middle's in system and on time. So here's what we can do in the late game situations. And here's a decision you have to make. Commit to the middle. What does that mean? Your middle blocker, when they're in system, commit to the middle. Because if they can commit to the middle, that is a huge momentum shift. Now, there's an element of risk there, absolutely. But that's a tactical risk you're taking. Especially if you noticed that they're going to this middle in system. That is when you absolutely commit. You're not in a read situation at that point. You, I mean, yes, you read that the ball is in system and you commit and go. And, and committing means you're in the air before the attacker contacts the ball. So you're closing them out completely. 
okay? That's an option. That's an option. You could also say in the next in-system ball, we're going to commit to the left side because maybe they're going to the left side late game situations. You know that that player is going to get the ball or the right side or they have a go-to player they're going to go to. They've rotated back to front row and that's the player they're going to hit. These are tactical decisions that you have to feel comfortable making. You got to feel comfortable making game because you could be in a read situation, sure, That's and there's nothing wrong with that, but if we want to get us a, get a competitive advantage, we need to be tactical in how we do things. So that's another conversation you have to have, okay? Is what, are we going to commit to something? Are we going to, maybe we're going to cheat over in a certain area, which is point number three. Late game situation. If the setter is front row, okay, that means that there's two front court attackers and there's three blockers. So what you can choose to do is you can double up on a player. So for example, if you know they have a fantastic left side, what you could do is you could have your pin left, your left side blocker, your left side player can come over and block the middle and you can have your middle and right side blocking their left side attacker. So you have a one-on-one in the middle and two-on-one on the loud side, and you're leaving your setter alone. And you communicate, you tell your setter, you're, you're responsible for dumps by yourself. By yourself, you're responsible for dumps. Now, this is a tactical move. If the team has a great C-ball action, this isn't something you may want to do because then you have a one-on-nothing on the C-ball. So you have to gauge that. If they don't have a C-ball action or they're not going to C-ball late game situation, then I would leave the C-ball alone completely. And mind you, there are teams, and there are teams at the college level that I've seen do this, where they don't have a problem leaving the C-ball and trusting their backcourt to play defense. They trust their ball control enough to play defense. And there's coaches that I respect a lot that do this. So that's an option you can think of. So these are things that you can play with as, as, as the tactics of the game. Okay, so dominant left side, dominant middle, commit. If they have a dominant left side, um, let's say let's say they have a dominant left side and they have a backcourt setter. Well, we don't want the the our left side player to cheat over anymore. Our left side player has to stay there, but maybe our middle can release a little bit early to the left side. They can cheat a little bit to the left side. That's being tactical because you've made a you've made a decision. That in this late game situation, the percentage of the balls that are going to go left side right now, because that's their player, is probably going to be higher. So you made a tactical decision. So these are things that we have to be able to be comfortable doing. Okay. Now to add to this, this this is a lot of decision making here, by the way. Do we commit? Do we not commit? Do we release early? Do we have our left side come over and play the middle one-on-one and have our middle blocker come over to the left side to cheat? You know, like, what? now how are you going to communicate this to your players? You only have two timeouts per set. So this is where strategy number four is going to be. We have to have a system of communicating these types of things with our players, okay? Now, on our, on our team, I have a custom blocking system that I utilize so that I call out a sequence of numbers. Sounds complicated, but it's not. Where our players, once I say block 212 or something like that, they'll know what that means and they'll know that's the tactical use. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing in this particular sequence. And I'm call- and, and they'll know that, oh, coach is calling a 212. He thinks it's going to go left side or something like that. Now, if you are a DVA member listening to this, 
I have that entire customized blocking system training inside DVA. Just log in, go to the coach's blueprint, and look at defensive systems. And it's in there. I explained it in detail. Okay. If you are not a DVA member, um, digitalvolleyballacademy.com, you can go find out information on how to sign up, and we can talk about that there. Uh, unfortunately, it's the DV that custom blocking system. I'm by the way, I'm very transparent over my over my episodes on on the podcast. I think that's probably one of the very few things I've never shared on the podcast publicly, only because it is it is one of it's one of my things I keep close to me. Only DVA members get the luxury of of of, here, of seeing my custom blocking system. It's one of those it's one of those competitive advantages that. Um, I know there's a lot of coaches in our league that listen to this podcast, so I got to keep that one to me. Unfortunately, I apologize. I got to keep that one to me, but it's one of my few competitive advantages that I don't share publicly, uh, except <clears throat> except for my DVA members. Um, any member in my in my world, they get full access to me no matter what. But but anyways, the point of that, sorry, I got distracted. The point of what I'm saying is you have to figure out a way to communicate with your players on and it's very basic things by the way like <clears throat> you can have a um a signal to your middle blocker to commit to their middle you know maybe you just like you, you know just like how you have signals to your setter you know you might use like a one a two a three close fist thumbs up you know m- the money wh- whatever you have with your setter you have to come up with one for your middle blocker as well but you got to make sure that it's actually like a system. Like, don't don't say out loud. Like, let's say your middle blocker's name is Tyler. Don't be like Tyler commit like, out loud so the other team can hear. You, you don't want to do that. You want to you want to come up with a you you can come up with like you know you can say Tyler blue red orange. You come up with a color system. That's one you can come up with um, a, a number system so they know like it's not a regular number system for offense. It's a number system for defense. Like you can call like a hey Tyler 81, 82, 83, like something weird like that where it's like okay that's specific to the blocking that we're trying to do and you could do like a like or if you do colors like red means commit to middle uh, blue means commit to left side you know things like that so once the middle knows what you're what you're trying to refer to they can tell the blocker is hey i'm going to be committing to you know the right side or left side or whatever the case is so that's that's just a a simple way of, of communicating that but yeah you have to have a way to communicate your players um in terms of you know setting blocking and stuff like that just something to know okay all right, let's let's switch gears to offense a little bit here. We spent a lot of time talking about defense, and that's kind of where you do make tactical changes is is on the defensive end. But let's talk about offense. Offense is predominantly going to be with your setter. Your setter is going to be the one that is responsible for making the right decisions, late game situation to set yourselves up in a position to score. That's this is probably one of the bigger reasons as well as why I personally work with setters closely is because uh, we setters and setters and myself need to be on the same page. We have to basically be sharing the same playbook and and I, and I mind you I do give my setter full range of doing things, but sometimes you know late game situations we do always have that eye contact so we're on the same page. So do you have a mismatch? Number one right there. They're rotating. You look at their front three core blockers. Is there a significant mismatch that you have? Maybe they're they have a smaller setter that's front row. Your left side is a little bit more of a can, can you know can contact the ball a little bit higher than they can reach. They can make better decisions. Whatever the case is, feed your mismatch. Even if the other team knows it's coming, because they have to stop it. So if you have a plan, if you have a mismatch that works, the other team still has to stop you. So feed it. And if it works, keep feeding it. 
until they figure it out. And don't have that player start changing things up. Do whatever is working to score. All right. Don't do anything extra. Keep it simple. I see a lot of times players will like go up to swing, have the seam, and then tip for some reason. You know, they're like, oh, they fake. It's like they're faking the swing, and then they're now tipping when they, they had the seam. <laughs> swing the seam. Don't, don't worry about tipping for some strange reason. They change. They try to do something extra with it. Keep it simple. Keep it very simple, and that's going to generally score. Okay? Um, and, oops, sorry. That's my little Siri there. Uh, and then, again, this is where, you know, late game situations uh, a combo play may help I, and I, it's funny i just said keep it simple and i'm throwing in a combo play but what i mean is it's still simple in the sense that you, you have a purpose you know let's say for example you, this is an opportunity to run an x you have a great right side and you have a middle that they're biting on you know they're they're biting on a middle well guess what have that middle go they bite on the middle and you have you run an x one on nothing okay an opportunity there for you to do that okay this is an opportunity, again, rally situations. If you end up catching yourself in a rally, your setter has to know how to be able to spread the offense or make the correct set to the player that's going to put the ball away in those rally situations. Because in rally situations, if you have an opportunity to be in system, you want to make sure you're making the right decision to hit that player that's going to score the ball. Because when it's out of system, you don't necessarily have the option of choosing whatever player you want. You have to hit, you know, you have to make the simple set and hope that your pin player can actually put the ball away. So that's something that you have to make, again, and this is, you do it in training, you work on your out of system situations, but you got to be able to do that, okay? Um, which kind of leads me to my other point here is out of system swinging. You got to practice that. You got to practice out of system, because late game situations, you're going to have out of system situations. It is going to happen. And I can tell you, even at the national level, um, I, uh, and again, I know, I know the national coaches, and I, I can say this with certainties, that's one of the things that... At the national level, they're working on is they understand that the, sometimes in, in, the, in the next level, the at the best out of system teams are winning games. They can score on out of system balls, and you have to be you have to be very versed and be able to do that. So that's something you have to train. That's something your players have to feel confident, and the ball control's got to be there too. You have to be able to put a good ball, nice and high, inside the court, so our, our our attackers can go and swing, and our attackers feel comfortable and confident to make the right swing and the right play. So yeah, our out of system game has to be solid as well for late game situations. Okay, uh, what am I on my fifth strategy here? Maybe my fifth. Okay, let's talk about the next thing. Know your personnel, and know who responds the best under pressure. And this is something for you and your setter to be aware of. You do not want to be putting a player who is great all match long, but when it comes to those close moments, they do not respond well under pressure or they're not your top performing players under pressure. They're good, but they're not one of your top performing players under pressure. Well, that might not, that might not be a player you want to set in these late game situations. Again, know your personnel. And this is a setter thing and this is important. And and you and I know setters, so no, I have this conversation with my setters all the time and it's important that they know what sets their players like, you know, in what moments, and who is the go-to person under pressure. If there's more than one, fantastic. But know your personnel and who responds best under pressure. That's a, that's a simple one. Don't need to explain that one too much, but yeah, that's what it is, okay? And then the last thing 
I want to say for late game strategies and stuff like that is, is, is it comes to, down to preparation. And I'm sure I sound like a broken record. You heard me say this a million times on the podcast, but you got to know their tendencies. You got to know that if you if you have got a chance to play this team before, if you see, if you have film on this team, and I know it at our in our situation in provincials, uh, these teams have seen each other. They see each other all year long. They've played against each other. They have film against each other. Whatever the case is, or even during the course of the weekend, they can look at the other teams that are playing and, and start creating their scouting reports and preparation. So when they get to them in the playoffs, they know exactly what's going on and who they're up against. This is your preparation, your homework. And by the way, this is just as important as every other strategy that I've mentioned is know your other team's tendencies. Know what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. So in close game situations, you can exploit their tendencies. You can exploit their weaknesses. Um, I will throw in one other thing I forgot to mention earlier, actually, and this is tied into the defense. Is Sometimes uh, if you know, and this is very popular in the women's game, if you know a team has certain type of play style or a player has a certain type of play style, you can modify your backcourt defense accordingly. And I'll give you an example. This is something that I, I've done quite a bit in, in, in the girls' side when I coach. Is um, A lot of times we play teams where girls play a lot of beach and they they like to you know mix up their shot selection. So, for example, they like to roll to deep one. That's a shot that they... They normally do. It's not like oh, it's a one once in a while shot. It's a shot that that's a part of their arsenal. Well, if that's their game, and in the women's game they can't hit that sharp cross into area four, well, instead of running a regular perimeter defense, you may want to run a rotational defense. And if you don't know what rotational defense is, I've done a defensive episode on the podcast. Oh, I should have wrote down the episode number. I don't remember what it was, but you can look through it. Um, and if you're a DVA member, again, this is in the defensive training, but. If you have a team that likes to do those roll deeps, those roll deep shots and things like that, I would just switch to a rotational defense because what a rotational defense does is it brings your your player in six, it brings them over to position one, and it shifts player five to player to position six, and it shifts player four to the area five in between five and four. So now we're we're kind of hugging that side of the court, and it also forces your setter to play up. So if your setter's backcourt, for example, they're not getting those rolls and tips into position one. They're already playing up. So this is a really great strategy to do, um, and it, it, it actually will prevent the other team from scoring in a way they normally used to. And what we did, and I've done this quite a bit of times in the women's game, is if you notice that there's only one left side who does this, um, what you can do is for three rotations, that that left side's front court, you run a rotational defense. And then when that left side goes backcourt, you run a perimeter defense. Now, I know it sounds complicated, but it actually isn't if you're prepared. And I've done this at the high school level, not even club. Varsity high school level, we, uh, I'll give you an example, we had, a, we had our, our, a championship game, actually. Uh, it was a city championship game. Um, and we played against a team who had this kind of play style. We played them already in the, in the, in the year, and we knew what they were going to do, so we were well prepared for them. And there was this one girl... Uh, fantastic player. She's actually our national uh, libero right now, and she liked to do that. Roll deep. She liked to play beach on players, and she would she would score on every team, no problem. And all we did was we recognized that, and we ran a rotational defense when she was front row. And what happened when we ran that rotational defense when she was front row is when she got there, she did it, and we had an easy dig. So now, after doing it a few times. 
we were digging the ball and she realized that she's not scoring anymore that way so now guess what she had to alter what she's been doing all season long to be successful to change her game to try to do something else now guess what that's not going to be as strong as what she's been doing all season long it's going to be a weaker attack and it's a very easy play to read because it's not something that she's comfortable with. Or rather, it's not something that is one of her go-to offensive options. And we were very successful and we won a city championship that way. And again, not that we were a better team than they were. We just were able to adjust and adapt to those situations. And that was a tactical decision. And it paid dividends because it forces the other team now to all of a sudden say, well, we got to change our offense because it's not working anymore. And now they're uncomfortable. And that's a, and just a, a simple example like that is a way where you know you could ha- you could put yourself in a great position to beat teams by taking them out of their system that they're used to doing. Okay, um, the one thing I will uh, I'll also mention is you know how do you practice this? That's a, another question I get from coaches all the time. It's really tough to practice this. The, the the one thing that I think you can do is simulate this in games or in practice rather. So six on six, start the score at twenty twenty, go. 23-20, go. Uh, or you can have the serving side has 20, 23, the receiving side has 20, game to 25, go. You know, very, very uh, intentional situations in practice to put them through and see how, how they do. And that's, that's an example of something you could do to, to, you know, to practice this kind of thing. All right, let's do a little quick recap here. So strategies here, we're talking about strategies for late game situations. The first one, and probably the one of the most important ones, is play to win. Do not, or sorry, don't play not to lose. Play to win. Okay, playing to win. You're not playing not to lose. That mindset shift really, really important. Swing with a purpose. Okay, don't tip because you're, you feel you're going to commit an error, or don't free ball it over when you have a, when you have a ball that's set high enough that you can attack because you're afraid you're going to commit an error. We do not want to do that. Okay, what has the other team done to be successful? Every time they're in system, have they gone middle? Maybe that's an opportunity to commit to middle. Okay, what about if have they gone left side when they're in system? Maybe that's an opportunity to release early and get the left side. Okay, uh, another strategy we talked about is if the setter's front row, you can double up on a player. So you could have your left side come over and take the middle one-on-one and have your middle and right side block their left side. So you can have a two-on-one on the outside, one-on-one in the middle. Now you are leaving the setter alone, so you have to have your libero make sure they're, they're aware of that. Now if the team has a great C-ball action, you might not want to do this because then the C-ball is going to have a one-on-nothing. So again, you have to you have to gauge that depending on the team you're playing. Um, you need a way to communicate to your players just like you communicate, just like you communicate to your setter. You have to communicate to your blockers as well. We talked about like you can do different colors and, and whatever you feel comfortable with. And and the communication is basically like, you know, communicate blocking middle or commit to middle, commit to left side, you know, whatever you want to do. Maybe you maybe you want them fronting the middle and not in a read situation. Well, you have to figure out ways to communicate that. Uh, don't do anything extra. Keep it simple. Okay, so stuff like feed the mismatch. You know, maybe you have a shorter set or front row. Maybe you have a middle that's really... Um, the middle blocker is is not really that strong. They're not reading. They're ball watching. Then you know you have you have mismatches. Hit the mismatches. Keep it simple. All right. And you want to you want you don't want to do anything extra. Don't like you know have your players go up, have a seam, and all of a sudden tip. No no no. 
Swing if you see the seam. Do what you know how to do, okay? Know your personnel and who responds the best under pressure. And this is why setters, uh, setters got to be really on the same page with the coach and the setters got to know their attackers, okay? Change your backward defense maybe. Maybe instead of a perimeter, you run a rotational depending on team tendencies. And that's something that I just talked about that can pay dividends. Knowing the other team's tendencies. This is your... And again, if we're, if you're talking about a provincial championship where you're you have a weekend of seeing teams play and you've maybe seen teams in the, during the course of the year, this is a chance where well, you should be knowing their tendencies by now. And preparation is just as important as everything that I mentioned. Really, really important that you have that preparation. Okay, and then how you practice this uh, simulations. 24-24, you know, 23-20, have these situations in practice. You could do servers versus receivers. Serving side has 23, receiving side has 20. Go from there, practice these situations, look and see the decision-making that your setter is doing. Look and see how your attackers are making decisions. Are they playing to win? Are they being tactical? Are they swinging at the right balls? You know, are they doing the right things? You can you see it in practice. If they're not doing it in practice, you better believe they're not going to be doing it in the game. So deal with it in practice and make sure you uh, you see t- you take a look at that. Okay, um, if you are listening to this before uh, April thirtieth, uh, make sure you go to volleyballworkshop.com and sign up for that free offensive workshop. And if you are interested in joining DVA uh, because you want to take a look at any of the stuff we talked about today that was not mentioned in the episode, head on over to digitalvolleyballacademy.com. The link is also in the show notes. And um, yeah, and get signed up there and. Get a chance to see all the stuff I'm talking about. And again, I, I, I promise you, okay, I'm an open book in DVA. I don't hide anything in DVA. Um, as a paying member, um, it is your right, and I, I do not fluff. I don't. There's no fluff. You get access to everything. So it's something that I'm, I'm a full uh, open book. Uh, it's just for, for this right now, unfortunately. Uh, and I feel really bad, by the way. I feel really bad. I, I, I'm a. You ask anybody. I love. I, I share. I don't hold anything back. I really do, except for this one thing and maybe one or two others. Adding that, I'm a, I promise I'm an open book. All right, that's it for me. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. I'll see you guys next week. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.